This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. Joining me as always, Andrew Mercado. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi, James. How are you? Very good, thank you. It's a bit chilly in Sydney today when we're recording this. What's it like at Newcastle where you are? Yeah, I've got the uh, heater blaring out at the moment and I'm in my warmest hoodie. <laughs> yeah, we've been spoiled a bit. been some nice days this week, but it's certainly turned now. Um, I, I wanted to start off today, talk about Foxtel's new streaming service. Yes. Uh, lots of speculation it was going to be called Binge and that is in fact the, the name. Yep. Um, launching on Monday, May 25. Okay. And the base price is $10 a month. Wow. It's pretty cheap, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that would be their cheapest ever, would it not? Yeah, it's the cheapest thing they've ever sold for sure. Yeah. When you consider the average price of Foxtel customer pays is $80. Yeah, yeah. This is a bargain. And that uh, streaming site they had, and I lose track of them, is it Foxtel Now? I mean, that was kind of minimum 25, wasn't it, there for a while? Or yeah. I, I get a bit confused with all of them, but look, $10 is a, a really smart entry point given all the competition out there now. It does, it, it, but it can. So Foxtel Now is Foxtel. I think Foxtel customer can use Foxtel Go. Right. And or you can buy a separate subscription to Foxtel Now. Plus there's KO. And now there's also Binge. But what is that factor front up? I keep getting mixed up between Foxtel Go and Foxtel Now. Yeah, yeah. So the question I want to ask is so if you're new to the Foxtel universe and you join up and you're paying $10 a month and this is an entertainment service, we know that there's a back catalogue of all the HBO shows that they've just signed up to retain. What else is there for that? Uh, is there anything? Oh, there's, like, is it, they've got access to a Warner Brothers library now. So does that yeah. give them some titles from there? Yeah, virtually any f- drama that's on Foxtel right. will be on Binge. Right. That, will Binge have anything that's not on Foxtel? Will they have any exclusivity? I believe not. Okay. No, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, but they're, that they were, they're very careful to say it's a, it is a separate product though. Yeah, they they will be marketing their own shows. It won't be just like a Foxtel alternative, right? Okay. So no lifestyle, no sport, purely drama. Yes. Uh, all of those uh, great HBO shows and uh, Foxtel local productions like Wentworth and a place to call home. Do you think they're going to be there? I think a place to call home will be there. I'm not too sure about the rights to new episodes of Wentworth. Right. I I think there will be the odd thing that there might be a rights issue with, and I've got a feeling... Well, Wentworth uh, screens all over the world via Netflix. So outside of Australia, my understanding is that 
uh, Wentworth is seen. Uh, if you live in America, you watch Netflix. You watch it on Netflix next to Orange is the New Black. Mm, yeah, I'm just... I, I did ask a question about um, Wentworth and I, I was a little bit confused by the answer, so I don't... They mightn't even know yet what happens with new episodes of Wentworth. Do you know what this will be really good for? This will be really good for people who say, I say to them, you need to watch this show, and they say, where is it? And I say, it's a Foxtel show, and they say, well, I don't have Foxtel. And you could go, you can start explaining all of this convoluted thing. It's going to be much easier to say to those people, you know, you can, you can watch this show on Binge, it's $10 a month. And yeah. straight away, it's, it's easy to have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and their, their target market is the, let's call it two-thirds of Australia that don't have Foxtel. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of homes, a lot of people. And presumably those people, one big reason they don't have Foxtel is the cost. Yeah. So you've got to think there's not many people who are going to balk at $10. No. You know? I think it's really well priced and I should just... Um, for to be really clear on that price, that is for a standard definition stream. Right. If you want HD, it's $14. Okay. And that gives you two streams. And the other option is $18, which is four streams. Okay. So I guess they um, people at Binge think, that that $14 option will be the most popular one. Okay. And I guess these days a lot of people, HD is, uh, is pretty much what they want, isn't it, I guess? I guess so. I mean, I will only watch HD, you know. I can, if I mistakenly put the TV on a SD channel, I go, well, what's going on? And then I go, all oh, right, it's not HD, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I've got to say, we've talked about this before, but on my IQ4, because I don't have an aerial yep. and I'm satellite, my free-to-air channels are standard definition. Yes, interesting. It's okay. Yeah. It's not great, but it's okay. Yeah, it doesn't stop you watching something, no. but if you've got the option, you'll always go for the, the better yeah. option. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I pay extra money to get Netflix to me in high definition. Mm. So, you know, consumers will pay it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, look, I was, when they, they've had a, they had a bit of a presentation and it sounded like you weren't going to have access to everything. It sounded like it was more a, a place to watch complete seasons, not new episodes. Right, yeah. Apparently the moment something screens on Foxtel, you can watch it on binge. Okay, cool. And there will be a couple of channels live as well. So, well, that's interesting. What channels? Well, yeah, they didn't say, but I'm guessing maybe, maybe BBC first. Right. Maybe what else is, what else is pure drama? Uh, Fox, Fox Showcase. Fox Showcase. Yeah. Or maybe maybe one of their uh, sitcom channels, Triple One Hits, or maybe one of those. Uh, yeah, Arena is all lifestyle. Fox Funny is all comedy. Maybe UK TV or Fox One. 
Fox Showcase, Fox Sleuth or Universal, I guess they would consider a drama channel as well. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But it's interesting. In the release, they've also mentioned Planet Earth 1 and 2 and Blue Planet. They're certainly not dramas, are they? No. That's more, more your Discovery or National Geographic domain. Yeah. And then actually, so there is a... Um, Kardashians I saw. Right. Well, that's from E. Grand Designs UK. Uh, Real Housewives. So there is a bit of reality okay. there. Well, just as long as they're not offering a live feed of Sky News at night, I'll be happy <laughs> with a couple of live channels, James. <laughs> Didn't take you long to get under that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's a, that's a sensational offer, 10 bucks. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But that, that's 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 really um, that's really good, and and they but they obviously don't want to talk about people downsizing their foxtel, but that might happen if people who are in financial hardships, because I think a lot of people are at the moment because of yeah. the impact of COVID nineteen. So there is a way for them to stay within the broader foxtel family, if they do want to downsize so temporarily or permanently or whatever. But there, the biggest upside for them is the all those people that have never been Foxtel customers. At the moment, there's about 4 million Australian households who have a streaming service and they're predicting, they're forecasting that will grow to 8 million by 2023. Wow. So you've got to think they'd be at least targeting for a million customers. Yeah. That first target, you would think. Yeah. But it's easy to overestimate these things, isn't it? But see what happens. It's so good they actually invented a new word to describe it. You ready? Yeah, what? Unturnoffable. Unturnoffable. <laughs> probably clever, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so we'll talk about some TV, yeah? Okay. What and a lot of these shows we'll be able to watch on, um, on what is it called, Binge, on Binge, yeah, binge. From, <laughs> from Monday. Um, the, the biggest new show, I guess, coming is, and that's going to be of interest to a lot of people, is Belgravia. Yeah, BBC First has got this. It's screened in the UK on ITV. And it's based on Julian Fellow's novel. Julian Fellow's, of course, wrote and created Downton Abbey. Yeah. Uh, and after, you know, six seasons of that, was it? And their big feature film in between, he wrote uh, Belgravia. It's now been made into a six-part TV series. Uh, and I've watched the first two episodes. It looks great. Look, it looks great. I, well, the first thing I say about it is that it doesn't have that instant appeal that Downton Abbey had. You know, you watched that first episode of Downton Abbey, you were in. Bang, it was, yeah, you were hooked. I watched the first episode of Belgravia and was struggling to figure out what was happening because the story's quite convoluted. It, it starts, it, the story starts and then it jumps forward about, 25 years in time and it's like, oh, well, so-and-so died. And I'm like, who, who, which character died from all of them? I had a bit of trouble following that first episode. 
Um, but look, it's I've spoken to people who are Downton Abbey fans in the UK and I said, what did you think? Did you watch the whole thing? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not another Downton Abbey, but in the absence of any Downton Abbey, this is the next best thing. To me, it seems perhaps a little less melodramatic than Downton Abbey. Maybe. It's a little bit more about the period. Yeah. Linked to someone. It starts on the eve of the Battle of Waterloo, I think. Correct. Um, and it just looks a little bit more... They've invested a little bit more on the locations and the, the, it's really very luxurious. It really seems to wallow in the, the period. Yeah, well, it has to be. Downton Abbey was, you just needed that one house. Yeah. You could do everything in that one estate, just an occasional trip to the little village nearby. Belgravia does have to create a word, and Belgravia is a suburb of London or a yes. bor- borough of London where the, the story is set. Um, but, yeah, you've really got to pay attention in that first episode to keep track of what's going on. Now, people say about Julian Fellows that he, he writes great characters for women. Yeah. Is that evident in what you've seen so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the story in this one is being driven by two women. Two women that meet when the show begins and then you have this gap of many, many years and then these two women start circling each other again in the orbit of Belgravia. So, so yes, this is a very uh, women character-driven project. I, I can't wait for this. So, look, it's a big cast, 65 people in the cast. Wow, yeah. Um, they had a 75-day shoot. Yep. For six episodes. And get this, they went to 107 different locations. Wow. That's staggering. And do you know where they used for what they used for Belgravia? No, where? Edinburgh. You're kidding. Well, no. I guess it's got the old buildings right. Yeah. That's what now, you need. You surprised me the other week with that little fact about that making of um, unorthodox for the unorthodox being made in Berlin. I found of all places on epics which is a US streaming service. Yes. They're showing it in the US. But they've got a set of, there must be nearly a dozen separate videos about Belgravia behind the scenes. Ah, right. And that wasn't geo-blocked, so you can watch all these, um, these fascinating looks at how they made the series. Oh, interesting. For so anybody who's really into it, um, go and look up there. That's where I also found out that the the row of sort of houses or the, the buildings that form um, Belgravia Square were actually a dirty grey colour. And th- through special effects, I managed to change it to a brilliant white. Wow. So there you go. Yep. So your lead actresses who are playing those strong characters are Tamsin Gregg. Yes. Uh, Grieg, who uh, I loved in Extras, starring opposite Matt yeah. LeBlanc, um, and then Harriet Walter, uh, who's currently playing Dasha, that mad chain-smoking Russian in Killing Eve that, uh, 
you know, Villanelle took the baby the other day after she killed the mother and Dasher went and put the baby in, you know, the rubbish bin and just came back to the table and continued lighting up a cigarette. It was outrageous. But talk about two different ends of the spectrum to go from playing that character to then playing this, you know, Countess of Brockenhurst, I think she's called in Belgravia. She's amazing. Harriet Walter. Uh, almost as a companion piece, although it's very different, you can also watch The Great at the moment. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. on Stan, of course, The Great. Yep, this is on Stan about a young Catherine the Great played by Elle Fanning being taken to the Russian court to meet Nicholas Holt, who's uh, she's been betrothed to and he's uh, verging on a sociopath in this story. You've got to remember with James, uh, with this James that they just, the first thing that you see on screen is an occasionally true story, which is, an, you know, the latest way of saying loosely based in history, but we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And uh, this, this show is a lot of fun. You know, there's all sorts of uh, kind of postmodern spins on it and uh, Elle Fanning is good. And if you look real closely, you'll see the receptionist from Y Hope Hospital in Dr. Doctor because uh, Belinda Bromelow in real life is married to Tony McNamara who created Dr. Doctor and also created The Great along with a lot of other, you know, fantastic TV shows and movies he's worked on, including The Favourite for which Olivia Colman won the Academy Award. And did Tony McNamara win an Oscar for that as well for screenplay? I think it was nominated. Nominated. Whatever. That, that's an incredible result. And, and this plays very much, you go, if you, if you enjoyed The Favourite, because they're a bit loose with the truth, telling the story of Queen Anne in this, uh, then you'll, if you like The Favourite, you'll like The Great. The Great isn't as dark as The Favourite. It's, it's lighter and, uh, and easier and more fun to watch, I find, found. It's, it's so much fun, isn't it? It's yeah. Amazing. The, um, I swear some of those sets are from The Favourite, though. That, well. Look, that corridor they walk down, there's a corridor in the, the palace or whatever. That, to me, just looks like it's straight out of The Favourite. Well, if you knew of a really great location that you could, uh, you know, dress, I mean, uh, you'd do that, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. You would. Use it again. Tell me about Al Fanning. I've never really come across her much before, but she's brilliant in this. Yeah, she really is. Um, I always get it confused with her sister, Dakota Fanning. Um, but, you know, Elle's been around for a while now. You know, she's, she, she started off as a child actress like her sister did. And, uh, yeah, she's really good in this one. Yeah, I'm trying to think she's done a lot of TV. She hasn't really done that much TV. She's more a, a movie actress, but... Uh, this is probably her biggest role, though, today, I'd say, isn't it, as a sort of... Well, I think a lot of kids would know her from Maleficent, would they not? That's kind of her big, you know, she plays... Is she a lead a, in that, though? Yeah, she's the Sleeping Beauty and her angel oh, okay. yeah, yeah. is the evil queen. So Elle Fanning's been in two of those movies, so a lot of little girls uh, would know her from that. Sure, sure. And a co-star, is it Nicholas Holt? Nicholas Holt, yeah. Now, he's got a lot of connections with Australia. Yeah, because he's, he's in that... Um, the True History of the Kelly Gang on yep. Stan. 
Yeah. Uh, and I always think of him because you always think of him as being the guy that uh, started off. Sorry, that's my phone going. Um, I always think of him as that uh, young uh, actor from About a Boy with uh, Hugh Grant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I remember seeing him and he's been in uh, one of the X-Men films. Yes, his Australian connection is uh, he came out here and did Mad Max Fury Road. Yep, and he was Back also in The Favourite with... Uh, which was, was uh, he? Yeah. I don't remember him in The Favourite, but I believe you, James. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You got me worried now. If you don't know, maybe he was. No, I think he was. That makes sense. Yeah, and he was in Skins too, I think. Something else. Yes, he was. The first series of Skins, the very first one, the British uh, version of that. Yeah, he, he looks to me more like an American actor, but he's actually British, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's very British. No, he's British. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, th I think we'd both recommend those. That, that's really good. Now, a show I'm not sure how you feel about. I know this much is true. Yeah, look, it's fantastic acting. Mark Ruffalo playing twin brothers, one of whom is uh, suffering, you know, mental health issues. And it's pretty bleak, James. It's too bleak for me. Fantastic acting. Mark Ruffalo's amazing. But I watched the first episode and oh, his mother was dying of cancer and the stepfather wasn't real understanding about and the, the brother the brother does something horrific in the first episode. He, he it the show begins with him cutting off his hand in a public place and then the, the drama is all about he refuses to have the hand sewn back on in hospital and the, oh, it just gets bleaker and bleaker and oh, it was too much for me. I couldn't watch anymore. I watched one episode and went, amazing acting. I can't watch any more of that. Yeah, I've got to tell you, that was rugged. I watched that first episode too and they actually show the arm too. I mean, yeah, it's not just suggested, it's woof. And, um, and there's other little things too, like there's a scene where they stop on the freeway. Yes, and he yes. Gets, he gets out and he runs through the traffic. Oh, I just couldn't look. I know. It was just, um, oh. Yeah, that was very stressful. And then, of course, you get uh, Juliet Lewis in yep. there playing the character she always plays, the, the, the girl that seems uh, really fun, and, but then one drink and she's a raving nutcase. It's like, oh, God, the last thing this show needs is, you know, another mad person. Yeah, that was really tough. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, no, but Mark Ruffalo is is fantastic in it, um, playing those two roles. And I think Rosie O'Donnell's in it too. Like, was she in that first episode at all? No, no. Oh, no, I don't remember seeing her in yeah. it. And I guess the sort of message from Lifeline at the start of the show is always a bit of a warning that, hello, <laughs> this could be going places where you, you know. James, when they put that warning at the start of the show as well as the end of the show, that's yeah. the, the double clue. <laughs> hey, we're getting tough here. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing, now this is also on Foxtel, soon to be on Binge, is Run. Have you seen much of that? 
Yes, I've watched the first two episodes of Run. Um, this is Merritt Weaver and Dom Hall Gleason from the Star Wars films. Merritt Weaver's an actress I love from Nurse Jackie and I think she was in The Walking Dead for a while and all that. She's a lovely, lovely actress. Um, this is uh, the latest show from Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag fame and uh, also had a hand in co-creating Killing Eve. And the premise of this is that um, a couple who were together in another sort of lifetime, I'm assuming in their university days, made this commitment to each other that later on in life, if ever any of them needed the other one, they just had to send a text message to the other person and say, run. And then they meet at this designated spot, which is New York Central Station, and they go off on an adventure. So that's what happens in Run. It's a pretty out there concept. And I had a little bit of difficulty believing the concept that uh, a mother, no matter how bad her marriage is, would walk away from her husband and two kids and just go off on this adventure where, you know, she just kind of, is hot for sex and you're going, okay, well, I get these are the characters that Phoebe Wallabridge writes about. But, yeah, it was pretty high concept for me. Yeah, I had trouble believing the... Because um, they're getting on a little bit. They're in real life. The, the two co-stars are 40 and 37. And they, they seem to be playing people who are younger. But, yeah. But at the same time, they're not because, as you said, she's got a family. There's a... I'm, I'm not, so I haven't got a long way into it, but there's a bit of um, conversation she has with her husband, but she never really seems to ask about the kids at all, so. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've signed out of that one and it's, it's <laughs> kind of sitting there. Maybe I go back to it and, and maybe I don't. Yeah, well, you know I'm a sucker to sit something out, so I'll definitely <laughs> have to stay with it to see what happens. But um, we'll see. Now, I don't think we've talked about this before because we haven't had a chat for a while. Normal people. Yes. Stan, which is creating a lot of buzz everywhere and a lot of people are watching it. And I've got to say it was a, I haven't binge watched a show this much for a long time. Wow, okay. So you got sucked right into it. It got me straight in. You old softy James. <laughs> I'm I'm loving all the discussion of it on social media. I watched the first two episodes and I, I love the, the argy-bargy about it where people go, I love it, it's beautiful, I can't stop watching it. And then these other people are going, oh, it's boring. It's, you know, old people pretending to be teenagers. It's about nothing. And there's no in-between. You either love it or you hate it, right? I know. I, that's what I find a bit, a bit puzzling. It's why people are getting so, so much one way or the other. And is it really old people pretending to be young people? Well, what they're you- in their 20s. You know, well, they were, you know, they're not. The both actors are several years older than the characters they're meant to be playing. Yeah, but that's what's not the bad. problem with that. I mean, you know, honestly, you, you don't watch uh, TV shows and movies about high school for reality. I mean, how old was Stockard Channing when she made Grease? She was like in her thirties, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with that. What What is interesting, though, is that what appears to upset people about normal people is that it's not about very much. You know, show, it's just this show about a love affair between young people and, you know, this. some people go absolutely wild and crazy that it's just about that. That seems to really offend some people who need more when yeah. they watch TV. 
Yeah, in a way, I quite like that it pisses a lot of people off and it's something I love so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. But I, the appeal to me was that sort of, again, this probably pisses off people too, but that old world art house feel about it. It's like an old yeah. Bergman movie or a, yes. where there's just those long sort of, well, as you say, lots of scenes, nothing happens. There's lovely languid moments where people are just sitting there looking at the sky and, and yeah. shit like that. Things I, I yearn to do but I can't because we're always so busy and caught up in the world, you know. Yeah. It takes me back to a different time. Yeah, good. Well, um, you, you, you'll end up sticking with that, won't you? How many episodes are there? Oh, no, I said I binged it. I watched it all two days. Oh, you've done it? Yeah, two oh. days I was done. Right. I yeah, I just, just, I just really wanted to. I just enjoyed it that much. And that, um, is it Daisy Edgar Jones who plays Marianne? Right. Well, it's just, oh, she's fantastic. Yeah, right. Okay. So good. And the guy playing Connell. Yeah, he was um, great. I thought he was really good. You know, a couple who meet, is it, um, what's the Irish town on the, on the West Coast? Um, Where it's set, yeah. Uh, Sligo, I think, Sligo. Right. There are a couple of kids in school in Sligo. I guess maybe that's at the start of it all, they're, they're still in school. Yeah. Like secondary school. Then they, they go to university. Yeah, later on in the series, they are older, so yeah. that that maybe is that pushes people a little bit. But there's no escaping that really. If you wanted to go that times, that you really wouldn't want different people playing those characters. No, no, totally not. But beyond, and then that just the transition then to Dublin and the university. Uh, yeah, and no, I just I just couldn't get enough of that. That's on Stan, and it's just it was brilliant. Yeah, good, good thumbs up from you there. <laughs> Certainly in my best list for the uh, year, that one will be. Um, and another old favourite of mine is also Billions. Oh, you love Billions. <laughs> Every time I see the ad for it, it's coming back or something, I think, oh, James will be watching that the day it hits. It's always been one of your favourites. As we record this, we're three episodes in. This is the last season, I think. Is it? Right. I've really got to enjoy this. Paul Giamatti. Um, Damien Lewis, the protagonists. It's almost a three-way this season, though, because there's a, another sort of billionaire on the scene, if you like, um, sort of who becomes uh, Axe's nemesis in this. This um, the guy calls, I think he's Michael uh, Prince is his character name in this. Yep. Um, so it's really good. Again, I love the music. Um, so far, this series, they've used some great music from Patti Smith, Bad Company, the old, the old heavy metal band Rainbow were on the episode this week. They just, it's just all put together so skillfully. I really enjoy it. So, look, I won't bang on too much more about that one. Um, the, now, a show I haven't heard about until I read your column this week in Media Week, Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah, this is an American drama that's been made for Hulu TV that's been out a few weeks now and uh, who's got it here? Amazon Prime is screening, yep. it, screening it here in Australia. So I watch the first two episodes as I always do. So you know Reese Witherspoon in Big Little Lies, the character she played, the suburban mom, and she's pushy and social climbing and <laughs> the kids are 
giving her lip and she's telling them you got to study hard in school and the husband's a little bit henpecked. That character is almost exactly the same character she plays in Little Fires Everywhere. It's almost identical. And I just found it that really frustrating. It's a different story. You know, this is a, a story all about race and a uh, African-American artist played by Kerry Washington, whose daughter becomes friends with Reese Witherspoon's daughter at school and Reese lives in the big house. And the story is, is about uh, kind of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a story kind of based in uh, different positions in life and, you know, the black experience as against the white uh, American experience. But I actually had no interest in watching any more of it because I just could not get out of my head that I was watching another version of Big Little Lies, but where was Nicole Kidman and Laura Dern? I found it quite frustrating to watch. Is it, I mean, is it as high a production values and all that as... Yes. So it's a... Yeah, yeah okay. Look, Reese Witherspoon's smart. She's producing her own projects and starring in them. Mm. Um, and then she's producing other TV shows as well that she's not, you know, she's not just doing it for her. But, you know, when she sees a project she'd be great at, she grabs it. But, you know, a Big Little Lies she produced and starred in, great. Uh, Morning Wars with Jennifer Aniston, where she played a very different character, the host of that breakfast show, great. I loved it. Little fires everywhere. I just went, oh, deja vu. No. <laughs> I feel like I've seen this before. So that is one show that I'm definitely not returning to to watch anymore. Oh, really? No, I'm not going back there. I haven't got time. Tough crowd. <laughs> um, you mentioned Big Little Lies. Um, of course, someone who did very well in that was Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen any of this yet, but I want to. High Fidelity. Yeah. I'm hearing very good things about this. So they've taken the High Fidelity movie, uh, they've uh, flipped it around and made a change of sex, made Zoe Kravitz the lead. Uh, author Nick Hornsby is still involved in it. Um, a girl I know said, oh, I just binged all of High Fidelity. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to watch that. The... Uh, Set in a record store. Who, who? What's not to love about that? Yeah, everybody's dream is maybe sitting in, running their own little record store or something. And and it isn't isn't it interesting too? Because with LPs coming back, mm. there's also an Australian web series set in a record store called Mint Condition, which is little ten minute episodes that uh, Sibylla <laughs> Budd is in, and Gary Sweet plays her husband, and. Andrew Curry plays her rock star ex-husband. So it's funny that the, the little record store uh, is uh, the hot location at the moment for TV series, both well, run by women. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me about Mint Condition because I've been, I, when I first read it about a couple of weeks ago, I thought I've got to do this. I think they're only 10-minute episodes. Yeah. and you like six them. Yeah, you watch them on uh, Vimeo. Yeah, you pay them a few bucks to watch it. Um, it's got a good out in an hour. Lots and lots and lots of uh, real Aussie bands uh, performing in it as well. It's kind of a performance oh. space in the record store. I'm so excited you reminded me that. I might even go and have a sneaky after we finish this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> pop them off instead of going back to work. Um, 
It is a Friday afternoon when we're recording this, James. So, you got yeah, so it's sort of acceptable, isn't it, that yeah. you can do that on a Friday? Yeah. Um, a couple of sort of non-drama questions I had for you. A very weird social media posting from Senator Sarah Henderson this week. Yeah. That was but bizarre. That shocked me. I, I read about it and I thought, doesn't sound right. And then you see the tweet and you go and, and the, what she was doing was sort of sledging an Aussie show. Yep. A home, home, at home alone. Home together. alone together. So just should be taken off air. Because he didn't think it was funny. She also, she also seemed to take offence at the fact, because the tweet begins with, I can't believe that an iconic journalist like Ray Martin would be involved in something like this. Now, I didn't realise until this controversy sprung up that Sarah Henderson was a former journalist herself who's worked on a whole bunch of television shows. And quite frankly, that makes her tweet even worse. Why would you attack uh, the only show that's being made in isolation right now that is employing 35 to 40 people? Dan Illick tweeted, that show is employing 35 to 40 people in the middle of a pandemic when the entire arts industry isn't getting a cent of JobKeeper because they're not applicable and you've got art organisations and theatres and all that falling over every left, right and centre. And Sarah Henderson writes, says to Ida Buttrose, I didn't think this show was funny. Take this rubbish off there. Stop uh, using my taxpayers' money. And then she quotes Kerry Packer and says take this shit off now, which is the comment Kerry Packer made when he saw two kangaroos rooting on Australia's naughtiest home videos back in the freaking 80s. I mean, Sarah, come on. Show some support for the local industry. She doesn't think it's funny. That's fine. But you know what? Go on Twitter, James, and have a look at the responses to her tweet. I reckon it's running at about 95% of people saying, we thought the show was hilarious. If you don't like it, Change the channel. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was great. The the, um, the support supporters of the show really um, spoke out and um, and uh, hit, hit, hit back at her. That's for sure. Um, it was almost as if someone had taken over her Twitter account, wasn't it? And just thought, oh, we'll have a bit of a laugh. And it's, it's hard to imagine that she wouldn't um, she wouldn't think that was just you know unacceptable. I get that comedy is subjective. Uh, and I also get that whenever we do Australian comedy, there's always a whole bunch of people out there that uh, seem to rebel in saying this isn't funny and this is rubbish and all of that. But, you know, Australian comedy is such a rare beast. We should nurture Australian comedy and give it time to develop. And there was a lot of really funny stuff in At Home Alone Together. So, yeah, leave them alone uh, and let good comedy be made in Australia. The um, the only problem I had with that show, and I and I laughed a lot at that first episode. It was very funny. The only problem I had is that I didn't have any credits. No, that at the end of it funny. to find out the people responsible. You go and log on. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, the ABC seems to have joined that commercial network habit now of just uh, ignoring all the artists that made the show because they're terrified you're going to turn the channel. <laughs> Come on. At Home Alone Together finishes at 9.30 on Wednesday night. Yeah. Surely the ABC can assume that its audience isn't going to run for the remote control if they see a credit roll. A credit roll of the only Australian show being made in isolation should be screening on the ABC. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, happy Endings. Yeah. Happy Endings. Very provocative title. <laughs> yeah. Happy Endings is an American sitcom that used to screen off and on on Channel 7 and usually very late at night. I discovered it very late in, into its run and, I mean, it's a Friends rip-off. It's a sitcom about six friends but they live in Chicago instead of New York. But I used to watch these episodes late on 7 and think, that show's kind of funny. Now it's on SBS Viceland, it's up on SBS On Demand. I've started at Series 1 and I'm working my way through it. And, uh, you know, it's if you're sick of watching Friends repeats because you've seen them all before, uh, my tip is go to SBS On Demand and uh, see if you uh, think that Happy Endings is pretty funny too. Uh, the ABC's got a lot of good stuff on actually at the moment because I... I think there's a bit of a vacuum on commercial TV at the moment. There's just some weeknights and the mainstream primary channels. Yeah. There's not a lot on. And the ABC did really well on Tuesday night this week. Um, Almost Australian. Yeah, Miriam Margulies series. Yeah, it got a huge audience. Yeah, isn't it amazing? She did a lot of press for it and I was seeing a lot of sniping from the sidelines. How dare this you know, whinging pom, criticise Australia. This is what a waste of taxpayers' money. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the usual suspects are going to get upset about it. But, you know, but I mean, we, we see these sorts of shows all the time um, from Joanna Lumley and Griff Rhys-Jones and all of these people that do the shows. And now Mary Margulies is doing a show about Australia, a country that she actually knows a lot about because she's a citizen and she's lived here for a while. So I say give her that camper van and let her go out there and make the show. I'm with her for this three-part ride. I love the first episode. I can't wait to see the next two. Yeah, no, bring it on. I think she's fantastic. She's such a, um, such a wonderful character. Everything she's in, it just yeah. makes you want to watch it, you know, what she's up to. And so unbelievably honest oh. and <laughs> says anything. What a great talk show guest she is too. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody falls apart when she comes on the Graham Norton show. She's always got something outrageous to say. I know, he always looks very nervous, Graham, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he knows she's a good guest, but he sort of sit there and sort of nervously wondering what, the, <laughs> what might come out of her mouth next. Yeah. Um, now, you've, I think you were a long-time viewer of The Bold and The Beautiful. Yeah, and, you know, we're in classic uh, episodes at the moment because the show uh, has stopped production. Look, um, I would give people the tip that uh, watching it on Wednesday, May the 27th, will be the 20th anniversary episodes that they filmed in Sydney. With uh, And there is the most hilarious line of dialogue. So whenever American shows come down to film in Australia, and we had a rash of them in the 80s, like The Love Boat and The Facts of Lives, they were always doing their down-under adventures. And, of course, some American scriptwriter would give them a few 
local expressions to pepper the script with. And in The Bold and the Beautiful next Wednesday, as Ridge and Brooke uh, go for an arm-in-arm stroll underneath the Sydney Harbour Bridge, she says to him, maybe we could grab a franger and go back to the hotel room and be naughty. And I've just never, ever gotten over it. It's like 15 years ago. But, yeah, that Franger episode of The Bold and the Beautiful is uh, screening on 10 next week. Wow. That's good. That's good. Um, And you wanted to tell me something about the ABC... um, Is it an interstitial or a promo? Oh, yes. Thanks for reminding me. So, you know, they do those beautiful promos where they sing This Is Australia. And the screen with lots of people. That's right. And everyone's singing from isolation and harmony. They've just released a new one that's in Auslan, sign language. And it's all of these people signing the song with not a lot of uh, orchestra behind them. But it's so beautiful, James, to see this. And, you know, as they play this, you know, I'd love to think out there that people might start picking up a few of the hand movements and some of the sign language. The promo was done by Diana Costantini, who's the creative director, I think, of the ABC. I used to work with her at Channel V. She's so fantastic. And... This primer, like, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It's that beautiful. I saw it on TV last night before the heights and just went, wow, that's... Now, that's a network primer. You mentioned the heights. That sort of seems to be dying a little bit in that Thursday 8 o'clock slot. I don't know if that's... Yeah, the ratings are not real flash hot for it, and that's not a great night of the week to screen a half-hour show, let's be frank. Um, but And it's such a beautifully made show too. I, I sat there and watched it again last night and thought, this is such a lovely show. And uh, But, yeah, I, I'm hearing that they... I don't know whether it'll go to another series. I'd like to think it would, but I think the ABC have stuffed this one up from day one and, uh, you know, it's sad that uh, it hasn't become more of a hit for them because they're really onto something with it. They don't really have um, a companion show they could package it with, do they, and make it an hour's appointment viewing or something? Or Yeah. Maybe a Saturday night after that 7.30 British drama you could... Yeah, look... And people will say, well, who's going to watch on a Saturday night? But Well, they used to screen it before on a Friday night and screen two half-hour episodes together when the show wasn't made. The show was made as half-hours and they screened two together as an hour. Mm. But that actually seemed to work better on a Friday night than now this that now this half-hour episode, even though that's the way the show was made, it feels kind of incomplete because you're used to seeing an hour of the show. I don't know. It's, it's a great show, though, and it's, and it's a shame that more people haven't discovered it. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, look, that nearly wraps us up today. I'm, I'm going to mention one thing I'm looking forward to, and if you want to leave us with something, I'll, I'll, yep. I'll, I'll throw back to you. But um, I just want to mention Kinney Tonight starts next week. Um, I didn't really know much about Troy Kinney before he moved from seven mate to ten. I'd never seen any of the first two seasons, yep. the show that, was, that ran on um, seven mate. But... He's a funny guy. He's a funny, funny guy. And look, it's not all, not every gag works. 
No. But I reckon about 80% plus are pretty good. And yeah. that's a good strike rate, I reckon, for a, for a, um, a, a comedy. And he's got a yeah. couple of characters in there. The, there's a guy, one of the people coming back in this second season is the sarcastic guy. Yeah. It's, it's very simple. And at the end of everything, but well, he always questions things. He goes, is it? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's very funny. And, and Troy says now he can't put anything on social media without people coming back to him now and going, is it? <laughs> yeah. Really? So we started a bit of a thing there, but he's, he's very funny. Um, and he, this is really all he's got going on this year. He had he had trip planned for, um, he was going to do uh, shows in the UK, shows in Canada, because that's all been cancelled. Yeah. So we've just got the show going on now. <laughs> so make sure you support him and um, and check it out. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll be watching it. I love that. Uh, I love it that 10 are doing their Aussie comedy. I love How to Stay Married, Peter Hellier's second series, uh, Troy Kinney. I love that 10 have continued to support these shows because, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, support and nurture, nurture Australian comedy. It's really, really important. Yeah, don't slag it off, Senator. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what's you got anything to leave us with? I'll just leave you with uh, Sunday, May the 24th on SBS Viceland. They're doing The Fifth Element again all day, <laughs> playing the movie from 12 o'clock and when it finishes they're just playing it again and it's going through all the way through to 1.45am in the morning. Last time we spoke about this when they did it a year ago, none of us could figure out why. Um, it turns out that The Fifth Element is this movie that it rated enormously for SBS Viceland, and it's a film that people do want to watch over and over again. So they're going to do it again. Uh, what a fun thing to do. Good on them for trying something different. So it's a, it's a French movie directed by Luc Besson. Yes, and it stars Bruce Willis and Mila Jovovich. And Gary Oldman. Yes. No, and no. I think, and this, there, there, is Kevin Hart in it as well? Um, someone is in it in the most out uh, an African Chris Tucker. That's it, Chris Tucker. Well, said Kevin Hart. Yeah, no, no. Chris Tucker uh, has these most outrageous outfits that he wears in it too. And the late Luke Perry. Yeah. So that's almost another another element why this is a my, an even more of a cult, maybe. I don't know. And Luke Luke Besson's made a lot of cult films. Think of The Big Blue and uh, think of Leon the Professional where he discovered Natalie Portman. Uh, he's made some amazing films over the years. It's very interesting that this is the one that uh, people keep coming back to. I should make it seem that's showing it all day. I've got a few options. I should... You've got time to watch it once. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Andrew Mercado, look, always great talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, James. We'll do it again soon. We will.